on this edition of the Iowa Business Report. The question is, how will technology impact our, if you will, new normal? There's no question that it has. The question is, what will that look like? And I think that's anyone's guess. We shop differently now in this age of COVID-19. How will supply chain issues change our habits going forward? Working from home is apparently tiring for some. And learn about a business that works with school districts to help them communicate. This is the Iowa Business Report for Memorial Day weekend 2020. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. The Iowa Association of Business and Industry has been the voice of Iowa business since 1903. Learn more online at iowaabi.org. Here is Jeff Stein. We've all dealt with unique in-person shopping experiences in the past few months. Upon reflection, the surprise is not that some shelves were empty, but that so many were still full. That's thanks to a strong supply chain. To learn more about that and how consumers are changing their behavior, I spoke with Ken Chester and Sasha J. Little of Roadworthy Drive Productions. The company produces various radio programs on mobility and technology. Supply chain, obviously, is everything from where raw materials start uh, and are turned into products, end up in warehouses, distributed to either retail points or direct to consumer. A lot of people don't understand that there's a lot of time built into that chain, that while they've been optimized over the last 10 to 15 years with respect to being the most efficient, they don't always respond well to shocks in demand, whether dramatic increases or dramatic decreases. And that's something that we've seen here in the last couple of months. I use toilet paper as an example of something where the supply chain was overwhelmed. People don't realize this starts typically in Wisconsin or some highly wooded area with wood pulp. And all of that gets bought, machines get maximized, the mills decide what they're gonna buy. It gets turned into product put in warehouses. The sales have been locked in for a year. So suddenly there's a run on this stuff and they've gotta go all the way back to the raw materials. And there's a question of, you know, is that even stockpiled or available? That leads to different challenges that nobody anticipated. Realistically, the production, and, and I just want to focus on toilet paper for a moment because it was the one thing that everyone noticed early on. You couldn't find toilet paper. Well, there was no change in the production level, right? It had to do with unanticipated demand. Is that fair? The demand fell off the rails, and the problem is it became self-fulfilling. It's kind of like a run on the bank. People made a run on toilet paper. The problem was they kept making it, but seeing empty shelves only made people panic so that what little was available got snatched up. It's been maybe nine weeks, and I was in my local Hy-Vee on yesterday, and just now, for the first time, I've actually seen toilet paper on the shelves that has not been cleaned out. Actually, name brand toilet paper for the first time in weeks. We've always They've always had it, but at the point where you could actually see it, that it was still on the shelf most of the day in, usually in the first couple hours of the morning, it was gone. And they're finally getting a handle on it. But as an aside, all sorts of pasta, canned vegetables, and all sorts of breads 
had the same problem for the longest, but they recovered quickly. And this, Sasha, gets to habits, if you will. Going to the grocery store, now there's toilet paper, but you can't get the items that Ken mentioned, also soup and rice and other things. Is it a matter that people are altering their shopping And by that, I mean, maybe I don't want to go every week because of the possibility of infection. So I'll go every two or three weeks, but I'll buy a whole bunch at a time. And hours have changed recently, et cetera. What are your thoughts? I think it's a compounded issue because continuing with the toilet paper theme, Mm -hmm. with the limitation that they're putting on toilet paper at one per time, if I followed their mandate, I was risking further exposure. So I think with that, A lot of people went to either curbside pickup to pick up what they wanted. Instacart really expanded where they were allowing so people could use the app to do it. I actually went straight to a supplier for toilet paper. I got on their waiting list and now it's almost like a subscription plan where I pay one monthly fee and they ship me out a supply of it once a month. I think that a lot of people looked to other venues to fill their demand. There's a convenience factor that we have always appreciated. I dare say we knew that these shop from home opportunities have been there, but more and more people are using them. Is that going to be something, do you think, that will continue on a broad basis after we feel safe again? In other words, people may be using it now for one reason. Will that become a habit going forward? Habits are hard to break. And I really think that while we knew about Instacart, we knew about curbside pickup, we knew about online shopping, a lot of people still liked the whole thing of going to the store. What COVID did was fast track these options and make them mainstream. Heidi talked about their aisles online business going from 3% of their business to 10% of their business. And another observation that they made is that where they are right now is four years ahead of their projections in terms of that business. We have been in an economy where we've seen brick and mortar stores lose their attractiveness. What's going to happen, I believe, is grocery shopping was ripe for this. I think that it was more tradition. People were used to going shopping. I think in five years, Going shopping will mean sitting in front of my computer, my tablet, or even my cell phone, choosing my groceries, setting up my delivery, and not interfacing with the store at all. And I think within 10 years, the term going shopping will not actually mean walking into a grocery store. I think it pulled it forward maybe by about 10 years. The concept of ordering everything online is sort of like, I guess I'll analogize it to ordering books online as opposed to going to a bookstore. If I buy something I know I want, I've limited my purchase, but if I'm actually in the store, something else might catch my eye. And I wonder if actually these stores, any stores where you're able to buy online, now groceries, et cetera, are they going to miss out on point of purchase sales? Going back to Hy-Vee, once you sign up for their aisles online, or once you interface with them, they're always sending you information about sales or hot deals or this, that, and the other. I think what you're going to see is you may not have the tactile interface of touching, feeling that experience in a store, 
But in terms of sales and coupons and things like that, I think it will go virtual. I think you'll see more of that enticement online to replace that typical end cap. Hey, look at this. This is on sale. Don't you want some of this? And oh, by the way, since you're looking to buy this, don't you want this too? I think you're going to see more of that. And in fact, I know you are in the case to that one grocer online. Sasha, you disagree with Ken. I do. There's been two different distributors that if the customer bought something online and was doing curbside pickup, they wanted the shopper to include a sample of their product. I think we're going to see a revisit back to, this goes way, way back, but back when you would actually get samples of obviously not meat, but you would get samples in the mail or you would get like the coupon for a free sample. I think that we're going to go back to that kind of genre because people aren't going to pay attention to random pop-ups. A lot of people are going to want to get back to local, particularly in rural areas. We're going to see people realize that, gee, you know, buying groceries online wasn't so bad. And I think I want to continue to do that for a lot of the reasons that we discussed here. I think manufacturers of all kinds, uh, both in, in and outside of the food industry, will never see their supply chain the same again. They're going to want to shockproof it if that's possible. The question is, how did and how will technology impact our, if you will, new normal going forward? There's no question that it has. The question is, what will that look like? And I think that's anyone's guess. Ken Chester and Sasha J. Little of Roadworthy Drive Productions online at roadworthydrive.net and on Twitter at RWD On Demand. There was much more to discuss. You can hear our full conversation. It's an IBR Extra podcast. Find it at iTunes, Spotify, Google, or Apple Podcasts, or by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. Still to come, if you are sleepy these days, you're not alone, and helping schools tell their stories. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Some folks look forward to the weekend and a nice afternoon nap on the couch, but some are expanding nap time to the work week. Kathy Morris is with the career website Zipia. So with so many workers now working remotely and from home, people are changing the way they work. Some people are taking longer lunches or shorter lunches. Others are using the proximity to do some household chores where they work and kind of resituating their life. However, many people are also finding they like to spend their breaks differently, including napping. We gave a pretty broad survey asking participants what non-work tasks they were doing during work hours. And we were surprised to find that a one in three of them are napping. I was surprised to see some people are just sleeping right at their desk. Now, we this, we only surveyed people who are, who are currently working remote. However, I, I do have a hard time picturing someone choosing to sleep at their desk at home. <laughs> so I'm not sure if this is work habits carrying over into home or just some people like the 
feeling of a flat desk surface as they sleep. Seems a little harsh. <laughs> Iowa ranked right up there in this survey, though, didn't we? Yes. Apparently, Iowans are very tired and enjoying a nice bout of napping during this stressful time. In fact, half of the Iowans we surveyed said that they are napping during work hours. <laughs> now, maybe they're not all regularly napping. Maybe it's a one-off here or there. But one in two admitted to napping when they would usually be working. So let's say someone's working from home between the traditional eight to five. They're not just working all of that time. What else are they doing? No, there's a lot of other tasks that, that arise. Now, some of these tasks are tasks that people probably are doing in the office, such as social media, phone calls. However, some of them seem very specific, such as household activities and chores. So people might have 10 minutes in between a call and run downstairs and throw in a load of wash. And of course, a new thing emerging is so many people working from home are now also responsible for child care because schools and daycares are still closed in most of the country. It's one thing to take care of your child from home. It's another thing to put laundry in from home. But a lot of non-work activity, according to the survey, is stuff that I have a feeling they've been doing at work anyway. Sure. You know, um, who hasn't occasionally checked their phone for a text message or looked at social media or grabbed a snack during work hours? I would not recommend sleeping at your desk. Uh, it does have a bit of a, of a bad look. What surprised you the most overall as you were doing this survey about what people were doing while they were at work? Honestly, I was first very surprised by the napping, which quickly became the focus of the article. One in three was a little shocking to me. For example, we had a lot of people who mentioned things like at, such as incessantly checking their emails, which by a work activity probably isn't something they consider productive, um, which can show that why communication is good to be effective, especially when working remote, maybe there is such a thing as too much communication. You can look at the full survey by going online to zipia.com. Up next, partnering with schools and educators. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, helping develop the next generation of business leaders through Leadership Iowa and Leadership Iowa University. To learn more, go to iowaabi.org. For about 20 years, Jerry Gallagher told stories as a news anchor and reporter for various television stations in Iowa and Wisconsin. Two years ago, he became an associate with the Donovan Group, which helps public schools tell their stories. The Donovan Group was created about a decade ago that focuses solely on supporting K-12 public schools with communications. For example, if there is a referendum or a bond vote that they need to have communicated publicly, we can come in and provide strategy and communications and messaging. So broader strategic projects like that, but also we work with schools on a one-on-one -on -one daily basis with social media, video work they have to do. Crisis communications is another big thing. So, you know, we, we work 24-7 for these schools and we're there at a moment's notice when they need it. For the last two and a half years, we've been serving Iowa schools in the same capacity they've been doing so in Wisconsin for a decade. Do you find that your services are more sought after by those larger districts, even though they have a communication specialist because potentially they have more complicated situations? Or do you find that the smaller districts 
are the places that really appreciate what you have to offer? Both uh, with larger districts uh, for bigger projects that their communications department, uh, they still want to have them do their day to day job, but they might need additional support to be able to help communicate a bond vote, which is what we did in Cedar Falls. Um, so that for a larger district like that, that's that's an avenue that we can take. But for smaller and mid sized districts, like you said, Jeff, that don't have communication support, they still have communications needs. Just because of their size doesn't mean that they don't have a story to tell. And so we come in to support them in an affordable way. Um, you know, we're not a full-time employee. We can come in and we don't have those same kind of costs that you would see with other districts having to hire somebody. And we can support them in a day-to-day -day, uh, operational manner. And really, you look at the population shift in Iowa. Some of these smaller communities with their schools and where you grew up, it, it's difficult. It's really difficult because population shift is more to the metro areas. But one of the one of the things that these uh, communities have to do is sell their school. They've got to be able to get out in front of it and and uh, tell the good things that are happening. And one way to do that is through communications. As you were talking, I'm thinking the smaller districts. It's really more a matter of survival for many of them to be able to communicate a message, to communicate viability, so that their constituents, their stakeholders, fully understand what it means to have, if you will, your own school district. And realize that it can be done on multiple platforms. I mean, communicating, as you know, and what you've had to do uh, and really diversify yourself behind the mic and do different things is the same thing that school districts have to do and find different ways, whether it's through social media, video, direct mail, whatever it is, public forums, finding different ways to get your message out there. And uh, smaller districts are really beginning to do more of that. Many times the videos that are produced on behalf of the school are actually produced by students. Talk about that integration of literally having the educational process be put into practical use at a very young age. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we, we tap into, uh, for lack of a better way to say it, because students, young people, have the skill. They are so technologically savvy with a phone. And we know that you can basically make a movie with a phone nowadays. Well, these kids can help tell the story of the school because they're the customer. They're the client. They're the ones going through it. And so, you know, at a ball game, after school, showing off a project, putting a phone in their hands, which they already have typically anyway, just turning it on and then sending that video to somebody within the school or us to be able to put together in a more polished way really helps them communicate what's going on, the day-to-day -day things. So often, Jeff, as a stakeholder, we know the ball games. We know the concerts. That's when we're in the buildings. But what we don't know is what's going on day to day in science class. And what these districts are trying to do now is pull back the curtain, showcase some of that day to day curriculum and making sure that 70 percent of basically every community is not directly tied to a school district. But because they pay taxes, they support the school district. And so you have to maintain that uh, line of communication. And so student videos is one way that we're doing it. How has the messaging changed? Because the firm you work for didn't exist when you began your journalism career. So what has changed in education or in society that leads this business to be viable and leads these schools to need to change their messaging or enhance their communication? Well, the way that teachers teach, the way that uh, you know education is carried out on a day-to-day -day basis is just different than it was when you and I were in school. And it's so important to be able to get pen and paper, get a camera, 
get a vehicle in those classrooms to be able to showcase how, I'm not saying that kids are different, but what I'm saying is the way that teachers teach and the way that education is carried out is different. It is not. And you hear that time after time when, when somebody is able to see something behind the scenes or they set foot into a classroom for the first time in 30 years. Wow, this is not a traditional um, sit and get kind of you know format that I had. Well, no, it's not. What's been the most surprising or gratifying thing about this job that you're doing now in this company? Well, I think the most gratifying thing, Jeff, is when messaging is produced. So for instance, if we do a video, I'll give you an example. Just this week, uh, I work for the Roland Story School District. They're one of my schools. Um, they, their senior choir was unable to have a final performance in person because of COVID-19. And so we worked with them uh, to individually sing their part of their final song from home and we put it together into a mashed up, mashable video. So they're all on screen together. So from a distance, they're together singing one more time. And we released that today because today was their last day of school and for seniors. And what's gratifying about that is when you see the comments and you see people say things like, thanks for bringing a piece of school that we are unable to enjoy nowadays, or you hear from teachers or parents or grandparents that are so thankful to be able to see their child, their grandchild again, or do something on stage that maybe they were unable to see before. Those are the kinds of things when you see the outpouring of emotion, when we produce some kind of communication that it matters to people. That's the most gratifying. Jerry Gallagher of the Iowa office of the Donovan Group. They're online at donovan-group.com. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. Follow ABI on Twitter at IowaABI and online at iowaabi.org.